Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Spits and Suds. I'm Gavin Spittle, joined by my bestie, two-time Stanley Cup champion, Craig Ludwig. Craig, we are in better moods today as we tape this brilliant podcast because the Stars have won two in a row in regulation. Why why do you sound surprised? I am surprised, and here's why. A couple of things. Like, no BS exactly what you said and i'll even give myself credit what i said has gone on now granted philadelphia and detroit coming off tough back-to-backs detroit had one in columbus first and philadelphia had to come from carolina which is a brutal squad to face right now so i mean you know tired legs and i want to get into tired legs as a former player because i hear that term all the time um but They just did things that we wanted them to do. And I'm surprised because this looks like a different team. This looks like a team I can get into. This is not boring hockey. This is exciting, more physicality, willing yourself in front of the net. Um, Most of the goals have been um, in those dirty areas you talk about, or if they're not shot from the dirty areas, screens in the dirty areas are causing those goals to happen. Um, you know, so I, th- I think, you know, those are my surprises. It's like a complete turnaround for two games. It's like they almost went back to the basics. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. And it's actually nice to hear you start a show and not go on a rant and, and sewer your, your home team like you did uh, last time. But, I think I fired um, them up. I really do. I think they played yeah. it in the locker room, similar to you playing, you know, the Dallas Stars theme when you were, were in Edmonton, I think they played it in the room, and the room was like, you know what? We're going to get fired up for spits. Well, uh, yeah, well, if you can pat yourself on the back all you want. <laughs> but are you sure it's not the move taking an assistant coach and putting them up in the up in the cheap sheets, uh, cheap seats up there? But, you, no, you, that's, that's a whole nother I know. Story, we can it? talk yeah, about it. We can talk about it if you want. I'm sure you're going to talk about it, but yeah. – uh, you know what? It, it, and again, I, I like to call it straight lines, uh, a little more blue collar and work boots and all that other kind of stuff we used to talk about. And, um, you know, the dirty areas are, are where you score your goals. I mean, you can click around the click around the dial and uh, go from game to game to game. And, you know, you if you're lucky, you get to see a couple highlight goals and, and the rest of them are, you know, the second and third opportunities and uh net presence and and traffic in front of the net and in front of the uh, opposing goaltender so uh yeah i'm i'm encouraged by that and and maybe you know it's a message and and again you know we we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves like you mentioned it was uh, a couple wins but a win is a win and um especially when you're you know playing around in the mud where they were uh, from the start of the season and trying to crawl out of uh, a group of teams that probably belong down there. And Dallas, I don't think we believe does belong down there. 
Um, but, but I also think that there's, well, at least with the one line, I mean, there, there's consistency, it seems like in the last little while with at least a line. I mean, I think when you look at the, the Robertson, Hintz, and Pavelski line, I mean, it's one of the things that I've, um, I, I don't question because they've got a better grip on what's going on in that locker room and with, with Bones' teams and than any of us sitting on the outside looking in. But it just always seems for me that we have this shuffling of lines all the time. And, I, and it's funny because when I, I said it for a couple of years, but, you know, he try, I think he tries to, to spread it out. You, you try to spread your, your Sagan, Radulov, Ben, you know, you try to spread those guys out throughout your lineup and, and try to be a little bit more balanced team. But in the past, or at least in the recent past, it seems like it's led to um, not, not a ton of offensive opportunities scoring. And again, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of the things that we started talking about there going to those areas. Um, but anytime that you're chasing the game, what does he naturally go back to? is you get halfway through the second period or maybe in the third period and you start, you put those guys together again, like saying we need some offense. So, um, so anyways, I, I go back to the, to the Robertson, Hanson, Pavelski line. I, they played together since uh, Robertson has come back and they got 21 points in eight games, nine goals and 12 assists. So, you know, the first thing I think of is consistency, you know, your line mates and, and they played together last year at times also for sure. So, um, <clears throat> that's one thing. And, you know, I, I think that the game started out and, and going back to the big three, um, I really like Jamie Ben in, in the center of the ice. I, I've said that for a long time. Number one, I think he's, he's a beast on faceoffs generally. Um, he's really good in the faceoff dots. Um, and he wins it where you're supposed to win it. I mean, there's a lot of times you, you'll take a player and you put them right behind the center. You put them off to the left a little bit off to the right, depending on what hand that centerman is. And it's not all the time, or, you know, I, a lot of times, I don't even know if it's 50% of the time that actually goes to where you put that player, but it's in the vicinity of it. But it seems like when Jamie moves guys around, he's very confident who he's in the faceoff circle with. And it go, I mean, if he puts them right behind him, he can draw it right, right back behind him, which isn't easy against, you know, a lot of these players in the NHL. Uh, he puts them off to the side, that's where he is. So, you know, the game started out for me, uh, there were, you know, three, four faceoffs in the offensive zone right away that I, and it's uncharacteristic for Tyler Sagan to lose draws, uh, especially in the offensive zone. I think all offensive guys really bear down in the offensive zone. And then, and then I start wondering, you know, we talk about his injuries and what he's had and what he hasn't had. And I think he had a, a wrist or hand injury at one time and you immediately start, or at least I do, I go, man, is he, is, how, how's his strength? Uh, as far as faceoffs go, but anyway, um, but I, but again, I go back to consistency, not just the line, but the, at the start of the game and Jamie was one of them. Jamie had came down first minute of the game and he had one right in the slot and he tries to pass it off. I believe it was to his right. And I thought, man, you, you want to set the tone to the game, start getting pucks to the net early and, and let them know they're going to be in for that type of a game. And, you know, if you guys are going to have any kind of chance in this, you're going to have to be able to battle in front of your own net. But then the game took over. And that's exactly what you mentioned. I mean, you know, guys were at the front of the net. The suitor shot, you know, Jamie bends around the net. And, and, and then Jamie gets the tip-in goal, Miro's goal. Jamie's at the front of the net. So they had bodies in front. And there were a couple of shots that, that ESPN Plus had on there. Of, and, and Weeks does a pretty good job, obviously, a, a former goaltender. Yeah, I like Weeks a lot. Yeah, I mean, he gives you a good perspective on, on what the goalies are actually seeing. And the only way to ever really see that, because there's times we go, how did that go in? <clears throat> and there were, I, I can, I go all the way back to when we were, we were running the Allen Americans out there in McKinney and, and I was having a hard time with our goalies. And I'm like, man, he's got to stop that. Well, the goalie coach that we had at the time, and, you know, he's kind of like a church mouse. I mean, nicest guy in the world, but doesn't really, you know, he's not a confrontational guy. And he just said to me one day, Ludz, you got it. You got to think about perspective. And I, and I, I'm, what are you talking about? I said, my perspective is he should have stopped that pot. And he goes, no. And then he kind of showed me some things. And so once you get, and you know, nowadays you have that, that 360 view, which I think is pretty cool when they show highlights, when they can do it. Um, you can actually, you turn the camera around and you get the, 
the angle from the back and you get the players in front. And, and I think Dobie does it quite a bit. When, when Hudobin can't see anything, he spreads his wings. Like he takes his, his glove hand and it's out high and up to the left and his right hand with the blockers out to the right. And he's standing right behind the pile. And really what's happening is he's going, Hey, I can't see anything. I'm hoping something hits a glove or a stick or something like that. So um, that's obviously with the goaltenders as good as they are now today, you have to have traffic and, and they've got to that. If there was a part of the game, I, I, I get critical and I, 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 I'm anal and I start picking on things and um, it, it was when they were up three zero and the first goal that Detroit scored it, it, Dallas tried to turn it into a, into a four on two, four on three, whatever. And it wasn't a defenseman. Suter was already up in the neutral zone. It was Tufty. And I think when you come across the offensive blue line, Tufty got caught a little bit. Uh, you got a defenseman into the play. You have to be the guy that covers up. One of those forwards has to cover up. And it turns into an outnumbered rush going back. And the reason I, I thought of that, I'm like, you have all the momentum. And you work so hard to get momentum. You work hard when you don't have it to try to get it back. And you're up three to nothing. And now, in my opinion, you don't stop trying to score games, but you manage the game. They've got a half a game left. And they've got to start taking chances. Two nothing, no. Two to one, no. Three to one, no. You know, they'll wait till the middle of the third and start, you know, press and add guys to the rush. But three, three zero, yeah, they're probably going to start, you know, opening up and sending some guys. And really what that does on the offensive side of things, it opens up holes for, for your team. They're going to take some chances. You're going to get some opportunities at the other end because they've got to start pressing a little bit earlier than normal. We kind of helped them in that one. So, but again, <clears throat> you know, the way that this team wants to play is they want to get the defensemen involved in the rushes. And to me, it's just time and score managing the hockey game. But overall, um, and, you know, and from that point on, I went back and I, I felt like the ice kind of tilted a little bit. They scored a couple goals and all of a sudden it's three to two. And, you know, from there to the end of the game, they were outshot like 22 to 12 and from, from the halfway point of the game in the middle of the second period. And see, that's a momentum thing for me that I'm thinking, man, you, you really didn't need to take that chance. But again, it's a young kid, you know, Tufty comes up and those are things that he's going to learn. Got to recognize. I got three guys in front of me. One of them is a defenseman. You know, I got to hang back a little bit here when we get across the offensive blue line. So anyways, a little nitpicky, but um, those are the things that I look at in the game, but all in all, uh, they've climbed back up a bit. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. I mean, when you look at what's ahead, you know, you're going to Minnesota and you got St. Louis, Edmonton and Colorado coming back into Dallas. So those are, those are four pretty tough teams yep. and we'll, we'll see what they, what they've got on the, you know, in their, in their toolbox for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the next four games are a true test of what we have because, you know, as of right now, those four teams are among the elite in the NHL, uh, Colorado struggling, but they're still Colorado. Um, until Colorado's eliminated from the playoffs, I'm still taking Colorado. You know, when they get healthy, they're going to be very, very dangerous. But as we mentioned on last week's podcast, they've struggled in the net and they've struggled on the blue line, which is both kind of uh, surprising. All right, a couple questions from a player's perspective because, you know, we hear these terms, but I want to know when you played. Talk about back-to-backs and tired legs. And the reason I ask that is because why are legs more fresh in the second period rather than the first period. What is the process pregame that you come out and once you, the term is called once you get those legs, what does that mean? I think there's a big portion of that that is mental. And you play the night before, you have to get on your plane. Again, it's your plane. You're not taking a commercial flight and, you know, it's, it's, it's five stars. So all these guys are, you know, well handled and taken care of when they get on their planes. But even still, you know, you, you finish the game up at 10 ish in another city, you take a shower, you get on the bus, you head to the head to the airport, you get there, you know, you get off the ground at around 11, sometimes maybe even midnight, uh, you land, you got to get on another bus. It, it sounds like it's this big deal, but I, you know, it, I know there's a lot of people going, no, that's not that big a deal. And I agree with it. Um, but that's where I think the mental side of it comes in. You get into your bed and, and as you know, anytime that you play any kind of a sport, I'd imagine, and I can only speak for this one, but you're kind of, you're wired after a game and, and you're, you know, your adrenaline's still going and, um, and it's not easy to get to sleep. And so the next thing you know, you're rolling around in your bed and it's two, two 30, three o'clock in the morning, you really haven't slept. 
And then depending on what the coaches decide to do, one thing they won't let you do, <laughs> I wish they would, <clears throat> is sleep in. And, and that probably compounds the problem. But, but again, whether you go down for a morning skate or not, you're going to have a meeting and it may be in the hotel. It may be at the rink. <laughs> the players want them to be, if we're going to have a meeting, let me keep my jammies on and let me walk downstairs into a meeting room. <clears throat> I really prefer not to have to walk across the street or take a bus or whatever, depending on where they stay and, and head to the opponent's room. And then you go sit in the locker room. Then you take your skates up a little bit, whether you go out on the ice or not get your sticks ready. And then, you know, an hour later, there's a team meeting, which lasts only 15 minutes at the most. And then you got to head back to the hotel and then you get your pregame meal and you shut her down for a couple hours and you head back. So I think a lot of that is mental. Um, you know, you're playing two games in less than, you know, a 24 hour period, depending on what time they get in and all those kind of things. So, um, but the legs to me are always, and it's always talked about your first four or five shifts. You want to go out and you want to get kind of that, the heavy legs out as quick as you possibly can in a game. And you find out that if you're the home team, like we'll talk about last night, you want to get on a team early. Let's get on it. Let's make them chase the game and let's, you know, don't let them think they can hang around because your legs seem to come around by the end of the first period. And you get into the second period and you're starting to feel a little bit better. And whether it's confidence, whether it's the lactic acids and everything else that's in your legs um, it's out and you're, you're, you're up and you're running. So um, and again, like I said, I mean, it's a mental thing and you like, that's what I mean when you're, you play a Detroit team who's, you know, they're, they're, they're off to a good start better than a lot of people, you know, thought they were, but they, they've got some good young players. Um, Philly's supposed to be better than what they've shown at least to this point this year, but don't give them any confidence. Don't give them any life. Don't let them think they're going to hang around the game and, and stay in there. And so when you get that lead, you want to make it more difficult. You want to make sure that they have to go the full 200 feet to get a scoring chance. Don't cut it in half for them. Don't turn it over in the neutral zone and let them start thinking that they can, they can get one. And the next thing you know, they get a power play and they get another one. And now all of a sudden their confidence is back and you feel, start to feel better. And, and it kind of snowballs from there. Yeah. I, I think Detroit's going to be really good in a few years. Um, I thought uh, Nadalkovic kept them in the game. He made yep. some tremendous saves. He's 25, um, lives in uh, or grew up in Parma, Ohio. Uh, so, I mean, he he looks really good. And I think it's an awesome opportunity to play behind Tomas Grice as well, another solid goalie. So I think Stevie Iserman's got some good things happening in Detroit. And candidly, Detroit being good is good for the NHL. You want your original sixes to thrive. And I, I say that, I mean, granted, I would love the Dallas Stars to thrive, but there are those core cities, and Detroit is one of them. I mean, you can look in the stands last night, and despite Detroit having rough seasons, I don't know, the past four or five years, you know, still lots of red and white in the crowd. So Detroit being good is good for the NHL, and they're just young. They're fast. They have some good veteran presence as well. Uh, I'm excited for their future. As soon as Stevie Eiserman took over, I said, look out for Detroit. They're going to be really good drafting. And, you know, you could tell last night from uh, – I can't say his name. Nadalkovic, he was uh, certainly one of them. Okay, second question I wanted to ask because you had actually mentioned it. The cohesion of lines. As a blue liner – your partner's taken off via injury or whatever the case, and you're matched up with somebody completely different. How long does it take to gel, and why flip so many lines? I mean, I know you're trying to, you know, kind of create that magic, but it just seems like every game you're seeing different lines. Whatever happened to, and why did the three solid lines go away? Yeah, you know, and again, I think it's, I think it's uh, ANSI coaches. And, 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 you know, they tinker with things and if it ain't, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But we can't say that for Dallas in the beginning, but, but I still do believe that, you know, you're what 13, 14 games getting at that number into the, into the season. Um, I, you know, you come into the year, these guys have been sitting there for, for five months, writing down names on boards and knowing the tendencies and the strengths and the weaknesses uh, you know, typically what you try to do with, with the offensive lines is 
you, you try to find two guys that play well together. And then you try to find that third guy, somebody that can, can complement those two guys. And, and so, you know, if you've got, you know, you can, I could go to Nashville and, and Nashville's off to a great start. And they, and, you know, they go ahead and take Johansson and Duchesne and they put them together. And those are two guys. One likes to pass. One's a great shooter. Uh, pretty good speed with both of them. But they're, they're, they're slanted and they're weighted on the side of offense. So now what they've got to do is they try to find uh, some kind of a grinder that can get in on the forecheck, that can turn pucks over, take the body first, and there's loose pucks laying around. And then when it's in the hands of the two offensive kind of guys, um, their job is to get to the front of the net and take the eyes away from the goaltender. So <clears throat> that's kind of what a lot of coaches do now. And I think that's why you're, you're seeing Sagan and Radulov they kind of stay together. And I think Pavelski and, and Robertson have, have, you know, they clicked from the beginning and then you take that speed from Hintz who can get in and forecheck. I mean, we're not going to, we're not going to lie and say that Joe Pavelski is going to be the first guy in on a forecheck and, and bang and knock guys off the puck. Although when he gets an opportunity, he will, it's just that, that Hintz can fly and he should be the guy that that's bringing the party to the front of the net and whether it's turning pucks over, getting pucks on the net. And last night he gets rewarded for shooting a puck. So you're always looking for that kind of stuff. And I think then you get, now you're looking at Jamie Ben with Darianov and Raffle, whether that stays or not, but there's something there that they see in a pair of guys and a guy that can complement those two guys. So that, I think that generally, I mean, that started years ago. Um, but again, you know, to be able to play with guys in practice is one thing, but to do it in games and play in traffic, and when it's at a different speed and a different tempo and being able to know where, if you're a centerman, being able to know, for instance, where are my two guys going to be? Is one, like is Gariano. I know where Gariano is going to go if he doesn't have the puck. He's going to probably be 10 feet ahead of me flying down the wall. So I got to get out here. Now there, you may play with a Jason Robertson. So some, maybe he's a little bit more cerebral and he's trying to find an open area of the ice. I got to get it to so, you know, all those little, and there's a lot more than that. And, and again, I was never a forward and rightfully so, but you know, if you, you've sat down with, with one of those kind of guys, they would tell you what they're looking for in line mates and what their expectations are, what their role is in that, that threesome and um, you know, and, and see how they gel and how they mesh. And, and it's not just offensively. I mean, it's always about being able to be in the offensive zone and read off of each other and make sure if there's two guys ahead of me, that I know I'm the last forward, I've got to be a little bit higher in the offensive zone and be able to, when, when the puck turns over and goes the other way, so that there's three of us defending also. You know, you just can't, you can't get three guys caught down. Now there's a lot of times you're going to, you're going to see forwards. They're always down behind the, the goal line in the offensive zone, because, but that's what they do. <clears throat> Some of them play with blinders on, but they're very effective and they just go. And they go and they finish the defenseman. They knock people off pucks. They're the first guys in the forecheck. So the other two guys have to somehow sort that out. And I, I just think that, you know, you talk a lot about the Sedins over the years. You know, when, when those two guys played together, there was this twin thing going on. I got twins and I know how they think and they know how each other thinks. And, and so I think ideally you'd like to get to that point where, where you know, when you're playing with Joe Pavelski, you know what he likes to do with the puck. You know how he protects the puck. You know he loves to be in front of the net and tip pucks. He's one of the best in the league we can get there when the defenseman can get it through. So the other two guys may have to adjust off of that. So And it's not. And, and the, the cool thing about it is, to me nowadays, it's cool on one side. On the other side, I don't like it so much. But the first thing you see when the shift is over, and let's just say it's the Pavelski line, Robertson, Hintz, they come back to the bench, and if they get a quick shot of the three guys on the bench, they're all staring at the iPad. And, and, I, and again, it's a yin and yang thing for me. I would, I love it when guys are watching the game, know, know what's going on, you know, what's up on the next shift, what happened here. But the good news is they're looking at their last shift. They're looking at the scoring chance. They're looking why they didn't get a scoring chance. I could have been there. I should have got it to you quicker here. So that's the good thing to me about when, and, and to me, that can be built. You don't have to always go to the iPad when you can keep three guys together for a period of time. And again, I think we're seeing those kind of results from that, that line of the, the hints line right now, you know, again, I mentioned they have 21 points in eight games. So um, there is some chemistry going on there. Now, when things go sideways, 
and you lose two of the next three games or whatever, it doesn't mean that you should be breaking that line up. You know, sometimes you got to be able to stick with it and say, man, this has been our, our best consistent line. We got we to let them work through it. I'm going to do some quick hits with you to recap. Dallas Stars, two straight wins in regulation, some tough games coming up, but we're liking what we're seeing. I'm Gavin Spittle. Two-time Stanley Cup champion Craig Ludwig joins me for Spits and Suds. Coming up, Craig will tell the epic story of how he and only he lost the Stanley Cup. The Stanley Cup was missing, and it's oh, your wait fault. Wait a second. It's you your make fault. it sound like I'm the only guy that's ever misplaced the cup for a little while? <laughs> it's your fault. We almost lost the Stanley Cup because of Craig Ludwig. I should have teased that to start the show. That was a bad job oh, by God. me. Now, that's not true. That's okay. a bad job. All right. Well, there. we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. You'll have to stick around and find out. All right. Quick hits. Joe Pavelski. I get on Jim Nill for, you know, some of the moves. Joe Pavelski. All three years, terrific signing. Kudos to uh, Jim Nill. Took a chance. That's a that's a guy that's been in the league for a long time. You paid him a lot of money, and it's been three really strong years. You know, it took him some time in the first year to get adjusted, but, man, did he come on when the playoffs started. And, you know, he's been lights out ever since. Uh, Jason Robertson, great to see in the sophomore season that, uh, you know, after – uh, a couple games on the ice, he he really seems like he's getting his game back. And I just love how the puck finds him. He's one of those guys that, you know, you see the speed of Gurionov, You see the 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 shot of Rope Hintz. And all I can say about Jason Robertson, he's just in the right places. And after a while, that's a skill. That's not luck. That's a skill. The puck finds Jason Robertson, and he makes things happen. Uh, Peterson, Craig, I'd like to see him stay up. I love his body size. I love what he does with the puck. Um, I think he's good in both the ends. I know he's a young guy, but uh, I'm liking him on this Stars team right now. I think he's making some things happen, and he doesn't look like one of those guys that just came up. He looks like you know more of a veteran. Maybe that's because he played over in Europe. And finally, you're not going to see Jake Ottinger make that flashy Hudobin save, but that's his style. You know, Jake Ottinger is like Ben Bishop. He's a big body and when you you know a perfect example is uh detroit had a great shot and you saw ottinger hug the bar and lift his shoulder he basically covered the entire short side you know big body goalies that are agile um you know are so effective you know you look at uh you know tampa with what they got going on uh with vasilevsky so I'm a fan of Jake Ottinger. I loved seeing him come up. I thought he played really well last night, thrown into, you know, a game situation. I'm interested to see how Rick Bonus plays the goalies the next few times, but it's awesome to see that when he is called into duty, you know, there hasn't been a drop-off from last year. I, I would say that that was strategic on, on the part of the coaching staff and, and to get Otter into that particular game. And, and again, it's, it's part of the, the changes. Well, I don't know if they're changes, but you know, the, the, again, drastic times call for drastic measures and, you know, talk about the guys that got had to clear waivers and go through waivers, get sent down, things like that, a couple, you know, veteran there and things like that. But, you know, when you're you're playing against Detroit, uh, a team that's, you know, probably not going to be a playoff team, a tired team, you're hoping that coming off of the Philly game, you're going to get a better a better response from your club. So it was the right time to put Ottinger in there and, and get him a win. And probably I would say that if you'd have been playing Tampa Bay or Carolina or Washington, maybe that wouldn't have been the time to, to bring up your young goaltender and, and throw him in there. So I think the situation was right um, to do that. I did not personally like, and this is not on Ottinger. I, and I would think that he wants it back. I didn't like the Zadina goal. I didn't like the first one uh, on the backhand. Um, but again, that not I. It, I don't mean to to put him down. I, I, I just thought that 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 was a goal. It wasn't a pass across the crease. It was a player that you know basically from the top of the circle down yeah. comes in and takes a backhand shot. Yeah, I and mean, sometimes sometimes you got to give the shooters credit for the shot. And I will do that with the second goal with Dylan COVID Larkin. Yeah, because that one. Woo. You couldn't even tell that was in the net. Was, <clears throat> so, I mean, he still got it. Not, he is such a good player. Yeah, and again, he shot that from just below the top of the circle. That's the one thing 
you know, you look at great goaltenders in the league and, and you immediately go to Vasilevsky in, in Tampa Bay. That's not going in on that guy probably. But that being said, that was such a great shot. It might've gone in. So I don't look at Ottinger in that one at all. Um, and maybe I'm being, I'm too critical on, on the Zadina goal, the, the first one, but I just didn't like the whole play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't like it the, the way it developed. I don't like that it was an outnumbered rush at that point of the game. Yeah. I didn't think it needed to be there. Anyway. It's pretty but, pretty interesting, I will say. I mean, you you have the skill set with your stick. Pretty difficult. Am, am I wrong on this? Pretty difficult for Zadino to put that backhand shot on the far side. I mean, well, backhands, you, which, it comes yeah, off the puck a little different. He, let me tell you, he didn't look and pick his spot. So he just shot. You know, <clears throat> I think what, again, I'm, I can't get in the head of, of any forward, much less a, a real good forward, but uh, I believe that when he came down, he knew he couldn't get it across because a defenseman plays to play the right way. And he may have even looked and saw that he was off his angle a little bit and went to the far side. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. So, but I just, you know, and again, th- there are some play. if it's Sid Crosby coming down and he takes a backhand and goes in, I'm leaning towards that was a Crosby goal because he's probably the best guy in the game in many, many years to be able to take a backhand and put it exactly where he wants. That was not, Sid Crosby coming down the line. Anyway, that being said, I, again, I don't want to, I don't want to take it away from Jake having a, having a good game coming in and playing well and, and, and doing exactly what he needed to do. So, I mean, I agree with, with all that stuff and, and it will be interesting to see how, because I, what I heard, and I don't know if you, everybody heard it, but Dobie was backing up, but he was sick. So I, I don't know. And it wasn't a COVID thing. He just didn't feel well, which was, I guess other people would say, well, why is that happening? Well, again, there's something called the salary cap. And, you know, th- I think that's a, that's a Bishop. If, if Ben was up and he's been practicing and, and if you're going to activate Ben, uh, that would be a salary cap problem, I believe for the stars. So it, it will be interesting knowing, um, you know, hopefully hope he's not out for a long time, but they did put him on IR. So, uh, I, I don't know what that's all about, but, you know, curious to see how they, how they play these other teams on the road, uh, Minnesota, and then a couple you know, these three games between St. Louis, Edmonton and Colorado back home. Um, the one thing you don't want to do, and, and I don't, I, just from what I've heard, Ottinger wasn't lighting it up down in the American league. He, he was good. He was off to a fast um, start but, and then slowed down. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, again, I think they, I think what they decided to do is they tried to, to make some moves, which they did. And it's kind of rattling the cages a little bit. Um, they've got, you know, they've got, they're kind of all in, you know, as far as this season. Have and, to be. I mean, look at, look at the players that don't have contracts for next year. And, you know, what are we going to do next year? And, you know, if, if things don't work out, what do you do? Are, are you going to let some guys, you know, skate? And, and say we're going to go into a, I don't think you call it a rebuild with this team, but um, are we going to move on from a couple guys? So, and, and I, I go back to what Mark Bergerman did last year. <clears throat> not with the coach. I mean, I'm not talking about a coach. Uh, well, although I know a coach was moved in sort of way here on, on the Dallas bench, but, but in Montreal, uh, Ber- they had just won four games. He didn't like the way they played, but he put a team together. He felt... Um, over the, the two prior years that he thought could be a good playoff team. And early on in the season, he pulled the plug on, on a head coach and said, we need some kind of a jump here. We need something because I believe we can end and then go to the finals. So it was a good move on his part. Uh, not working out so well this year, but, um, you know, th- did they find a way to rattle a couple cages here by taking a veteran putting them on waivers by bringing in a young goaltender and, you know, bringing in a young player, a first rounder, what, three, four, five years ago. And, and those kind of moves and that, trying to send a message to the players. It's very similar to the 32nd interview that, that bones said he had. And again, some of those, I'm not saying this one was, but there are times those kind of reactions after games or at certain times of the year, they can be calculated too. And you know that you've got teams coming in that are both teams are on back-to-backs. 
they're at home, they're playing a certain way. You feel that you can get, you know, three out of four points against a couple teams. Fortunately, they got four out of four. And maybe this is the time. This is the time to make some changes up front. This is time to take, tinker with maybe a couple line changes and maybe a deep pairing here or there. Bring in the guy that they're hoping in a couple of years from now for sure will be the, the number one guy. The situation is dire the way that we started the season. And maybe this is the time. These are two games that we should be winning. And, and then again, you, you look, I mean, when you talk about the situation, I mean, look at when you go through the standings and I'm not a guy that looks at the division. I don't look at the league. I look at the wild card standing. That's too. all yeah. in my opinion. That's all that really matters. Yep. But you know, there, there's a couple teams like Nashville to me is a surprise. That's a surprise. I don't think anybody expected them to be sitting in third place right now in the central. And then, you, you know, and again, as you talk about the wild card, Calgary, Anaheim sitting in first place right now. And then, so you can look at them, but then you also have to look at the two teams. One of them that you talked about, Colorado and Vegas. We're all kind of expecting yeah. those two teams to put it bluntly, get their shit together. Yeah. And, and Vegas just got back. Up. Yeah. Vegas got Mark Stone back. Yeah. So they're going to start climbing up the standings, although Carolina gave it to them last night, but, um, but they're going to start climbing up. They're going to start climbing up in this wild card race. I don't know. LA's in a wild card spot right now. I don't. I think that's a bit of a surprise for me too, um, young team. But but I think you look at and where Dallas is sitting, you know. So I'm talking about in the wild card thing here. So there, you know, you you can do well. The good thing, the other good news is last night when you look at some of these teams, Vegas lost, St. Louis lost, Nashville lost, Minnesota lost. The Jets, I think the Jets are the. I just think Jets are a really good team. Um, they got off to a slow start this year, but I think that is a team you got to keep an eye on. But I mean, you, you got four of the five teams that are, you know, ahead of you in the wild card standings that lost. So the good news is you, you picked up four points in the last two games. You made up a little ground, but you know, it's not fixed yet. And, but it's definitely going in the right direction for them after a couple of games. Okay. Here's one for you. When you were a player, did you ever think to yourself, man, if that guy played in a bigger city. And I say that about like Sebastian Ajo, who's in Carolina a superstar in this league. If he played in New York, Boston, Chicago, was there like when you played the Hartford Whalers or the Quebec Nordiques, did you say, wow, if Mario Stastny played for the Chicago Blackhawks, he'd be a superstar in this league. No, when I look at the good players in the league, when I played, I wish they played in a whole different league altogether. (laughs) I never wanted to play against them. I I had felt like for years in, as far as the Rangers go, I think you have to do homework on your players and in and, and every facet of the game. And I'm talking on the ice, off the ice, their past family. I want to know everything about the player. Cause I, I look at some of the players, just speaking of the New York Rangers that they brought in when I, back when I was playing and I just thought they're not, they can't play in the big lights. They can't play in a big city. And, and it's not so much, it's not always, and I'm, trust me, I can speak on this. It's not always about what they're doing on the ice. It's all the distractions once you leave that building. And sometimes there's too much going on and you have to know the personalities of the players that you play in. And, and so that's, that's why you, you look at some of these players. But at the end of the day, the player doesn't care. In my well, I shouldn't say that because there are guys that leave teams, but they're leaving teams, you know, Columbus for you know, you just look at the the blue jackets over the last four or five years. How many players have left there? Yeah, just didn't want to be there. And whether it's it was the head coach, whether it's the city, I, I don't know. Um, but I think it's a good and, fan and, base, and, though. And I really guys do. that went to the big lights, you know, and, yeah. they're, and they're still moving along. Okay, but, but it's funny. You talk about okay, so there's a player, Panarin, yeah, right, and in Columbus. Didn't like it there. Yeah. There was a couple of reasons he wanted to leave. One being that New York city has a big Russian community. Wanted to be, you know, a part of that. You understand that. And, but the other thing was he wanted to get out and he wanted to play on a good team. But what it, what tells you to me, what tells you about Panarin is, you know, exactly who he is. They offered him the C this summer to be the captain of the Rangers. And he said, no, I mean, to me, I don't know. I don't know many players that would say no, but he just, and he's just one of them guys, just let me play. 
I just want to play. Here's what I do. I don't need the extra pressure. He also said that he didn't, you know, he didn't feel that he, he spoke good enough English. That'd be very similar about playing in Montreal or Quebec city at the time. You know, they, you need yeah. to be bilingual for sure. Um, yeah, so, I, but anyway, I, I, I think there's I, different players for different situations. Okay. And I want to ask you about that. So you started in Montreal. Leis, 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 let the good times roll. Did I get that right? I think I did. Yeah, you're close. I'm close enough. Okay, so Wisconsin kid who went to school in North Dakota all of a sudden finds himself in Montreal, probably besides Toronto, the hub of hockey, especially back then. First two years, you have 25 points. You kind of looked at, you know, not as a defensive defenseman, right? And 25 points, especially back then, that's a that's quality for a defenseman. But what kind of adjustments did you have to make in that? Could Craig Ludwig go out to dinner after a game? What about lunch? What about when you were walking around? Were you stopped? How much of an adjustment was it from Wisconsin to North Dakota to all of a sudden playing in a hockey hub. And then when you made the transition to Minnesota and Dallas, what kind of change was that when you walked down the street? Well, don't, it sounds like you're saying that North Dakota, I don't know. You don't mean it that way, but it wasn't a hockey hub. What it was, it was a hockey hub. No, I, sorry. Sorry. Fargo, North Dakota, where windshield was like minus 71. A terrific so, hockey <clears throat> program. No, I mean, yeah, yeah I, it, I, I just mean like, you're right. You're right. A smaller town that embraces that. I can see that. I'm just saying like fanatical. Were they as fanatical in North Dakota as they were oh. in Montreal? Oh, yes. Really? Oh, hell yes. Well, again, it was the, we weren't competing with basketball, football, baseball, because those were D at the time. They called them D3. I, I think they call them, D, I don't know what they call them now, D2, whatever. So we were, we were in a way, the big boys on campus, like the, the UND hockey team was that, that, you know, that basketball team at USC or the football team at Michigan or Notre Dame. So um, now the town that you're in, you know, you, you weren't doing a lot of walking around on the streets at night because, you know, you'd have frozen to death. Matter of fact, there were warnings in North Dakota for snort storms and snort storms are snow and dirt mixed together. And um, they would tell you not to walk outside, don't take your garbage out or nothing, because you will not be able to find your way back to your house. And there was one time where an elderly woman apparently took her garbage out at night and she did not make it back to her door. Oh. But she, could, she could not see the lights from what I understood. I don't know how many anybody would know that, but because of the, you know, the snowblower, I mean, there's not, a, you can watch your dog run away for three days. I mean, there, it is flat and there ain't no trees. There's nothing. There's just wind and a mixture of, you know, snow and dirt, <clears throat> but so I, and, but what happened with me is, you know, I came out of a real small town, a high school team. I walked onto a college team, fortunate, you know, I had a D coach there, Rick Wilson, who was my coach in Dallas. And I had Wilson for a long time. Um, just liked some of the things that I brought and kind of held my hand through a lot of things and playing on a big team, playing in the WCHA at the time, college hockey, knew nothing about it. Um, and so I was kind of, I was starting to be groomed and, and the way that North Dakota uh, grooms their players or plays their game is for the pros. They're getting you ready. If you want to play and you're, you're able to play, they're going to get you ready to play in the NHL. And so I, I had a, and we won two national championships uh, my first year and my last year, my third year. And I was kind of, I was in that, but I never, I I've always had the, the impression of myself like I I had to I worked as hard and, and did more things as I got older from my first second year pro to my 16 17 18th year I didn't I really always felt like I could be taken out of the lineup at any time um, and I tell players our, our guys all the time like what's the reason that that coaches put the lineup of the other team on the board before games, when you walk in for a morning skate, you'll see the lineup of the other team on the board. And, and they would say, well, you know, so we know, you know, that guy's playing with that guy and they're going to be on the power play and, you know, all these, you know, and they're right. But I approached it differently because I, I had to be a guy that couldn't rely on the same amount of skill as the people that I was playing against. So what I did is I went through all the players and I thought about their tendencies. 
I knew where this forward liked to be on the ice. I knew this guy was more of a straight line player. I knew this guy liked to fake a shot and try to walk around you. I knew this guy would take a shot from certain areas of the ice and knew this, which one would play a more physical one. I knew which one would punch you in the face. I knew one that, that they had, they wanted nothing to do with it. And so that's the way I approached the game, but I was taught those kind of things. And as far as the, the off ice stuff goes, you know, we were the kind of team in North Dakota and it was, I mean, every day in Montreal, at least, I mean, I'm not going to say every single day, but I got to, if we practice five days a week, four of those days after practice, we walk across the street from the, it was called the forum at the time, the old forum, I should say. Um, there was a big shopping mall. It was called Lexus down and uh, we would have lunch, all of us and every, every guy. And, and it was that kind of a thing. It, when, you know, I came in and our captain um, kind of when there was only a couple of us that were uh, American and only a couple of us that were new um, on the team and the meeting once they get down to here's your 23 guys this is who's going to be starting the season and and really what it was is there were three things there were three rules with within those four walls in the locker room and you know it was your teammates it was your religion and it, it was your family. And there was a pause. And then it was, and it's in that order. And so, and I took that to heart. And it's the main reason I'm, or one of the reasons I probably got divorced. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that being said, it was all about your teammates. And that was the first thing on the list. And you, you, you travel in packs of 20 and um, 20 guys off the ice, 20 guys on the ice. And, you know, it, it was a bonding thing. And um, uh, so that's the way that I, and that's the way North Dakota was. I mean, it was about, and, and that's why you, you go on when you, when a lot of teams, they don't do it as much anymore, but when there's training camps and especially in the pros, you always have new guys, <clears throat> you know, sometimes there could be three new players. Sometimes there could be five or six, but when in, in Dallas here, we would do it. Uh, we would go to Vail. And you'd go there for four or five days. Then ultimately we would take our U18 team and follow the same process um, because you always got new young kids. But what you're hoping for from a management staff, coaching staff is like when you get to day one and the first practice is over and you got the rest of the day off and you'll see three guys going for lunch that way. And you see four going over here. And then there's one guy going shopping and then there's five guys going here. Well, by day two and three of that training camp, now you see 10 or 12 guys walking together down the street. Or you see 15 guys having lunch together over here. That's what the whole process was about. Because when you have training camps at home, I'm not a big fan of them. But when you have them, and it's completely understandable, and if you have three, four days training camp before you're going to play your first preseason game, when those guys get off the ice today, I mean, I'm not there anymore, but from what I hear, they go home. And that's because they got their families here. You know, their families are here, their kids are here, their kids are in school. So that getting to know each other, and that familiarity with the new guys that are coming into a bunch of guys, 10, 12, 14 that have been here and vice versa, getting to know the players. That's why I like taking guys and going to someplace where there are no distractions. I mean, there's distractions, but the distractions are for all 20 of us and we're all in it together. So I don't know if that answers what you're asking. No, it does. I, what the hell you it, it does. I can't even tell you what you asked already. Uh, well, 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 you might not do it because you're an alumni, alumnus, but all right, I got a bone to pick with North Dakota. Here's why. Craig Ludwig's number is not retired. But then I looked at players from the NHL. I did a deep dive on this, Craig. Players from North Dakota that played in the NHL. Maybe they wouldn't have enough numbers left. But are you in a Hall of Fame? Uh, Do they have a UND Hall of Fame? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't attend a lot of those things. Well, I'm just saying, if you look at the list, James Patrick, who was, a, you know, a great player, yeah. then you. I Zach, partner my first year. Okay. Zach Parise, Travis Zajac, who was a heck of a player. Uh, Dave Christian, who was on the USA Olympic team. Uh, Ed Belfour, your buddy. Jonathan Taves. Uh, TJ Oshie. Drew Stafford. Dave Tippett, your roommate at UND. Brock Besser. Brock Besser. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So, I mean, I could see why they don't have retired numbers, but, boy, 
That's pretty impressive. That's an impressive hockey program. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's we we kind of we look at it as you know you can whether you pick Michigan, Notre Dame, whatever NCAA football teams you know that send so many players to the pros. Uh, you know that that's kind of what that was. You know, and again, <clears throat> when I got there, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. To be honest with you, walking on, I had no clue. But and you got the freshman class, and I'm looking at you know, and I came right out of high school. I was, Seven just turned eighteen or whatever, and and I'm like, this dude's a this dude's a freshman, I, I, and they got full beards. I'm like, what the hell? Like, they're I'm looking at these guys, and they look like men. <laughs> well, then I find out they are that they're freshmen, but they had come out of junior hockey, and ah. so when you come out of juniors, you can you can play. I think you can have twenty. Uh, I don't know if it's a twenty-one year old as an eight overage. I don't know what the rules are in junior anymore. But you could have like two of those overage juniors, and so some of those guys, you know, the real good ones, they came out like Mo Madano, you know, played junior in Canada. I think he was in Moose Jaw. Well, I don't want to say that because I'm not sure. That's maybe that more Chelly was, but anyway. But you know, Mo Mo came out, and he was a you know true whatever played a year in junior, probably at 16, 17 years old, and he was probably a true player when he came into the NHL. But what I'm saying, when you come out of college and, and you're going to college, I'm saying, and then the, some of these guys are coming in and they're freshmen and you're looking at them, they, they're, you know, they're, they got three years on you, you know? So they, they're young adults at the time where we were just young and dumb and full of cut. Well, you know what I'm saying? You know how that goes. I do. And now it's story time, buddy. Now <laughs> it's time. I thought this was that. So no, it that is. It is. But, you know, we talked about when we did this podcast that we were going to talk stars, a little bit of NHL. We were going to go here and there. We we're going to score a lot. But <clears throat> one of the things that I think makes you special and relatable is the fact that you can tell a great story. So, therefore, I want you to tell the story of how we almost didn't have a Stanley Cup anymore because you lost it. See that that's that's really embellishing that that story because, and you should know this, <clears throat> you do know this because you're just sticking a knife in here that that cup has been forgotten, left, lost, at the bottom of a lake. I mean, it's been a lot of places, and so mine is very very uh, tame compared to some of them. But I, when we got the cup here in Dallas, you know, when I when we went in Montreal, the policy was never in place. So, um, you know, we had heard about it or I had heard about it after the, whenever they started it four or five, six years prior to that. And always wish, man, I wish I could have had that when I went in Montreal, cause you never know if you're going to win it again. Um, you got to take the cup home obviously. And so for whatever reason I end up was the first place it was traveling to. I was one of the first, I was, the, I think I was the first player to have a travel to a couple guys had it here in Dallas and, and that's not typical and and usually there's a pecking order and um what happened is mr hicks was uh no uh, what happened was a couple guys had it but they wanted here in dallas i was the first guy to get trouble and luckily for me i got it for the fourth of july and i'm from a real small hometown in wisconsin we got 1200 people goes to about 25 30,000 in the summer touristy thing lakes and cabins and things like that so my dad decided to get um, an 18 wheeler, get a flatbed and they built like a float and we're going to have it in our, in our parade. And there's a, there's a lot of people in the parade there. I mean, a lot of things going on downtown. And so we had this float. Uh, and then what he did is he invited, um, every referee that I ever had. And there's a couple I don't get along with. And I definitely know there's a couple my dad didn't get along with. Um, anyway, they were all invited to be on the float with all of my coaches that I had and, you know, some other people. So, had it there for two, three days, which is not normal. And because there was nobody else that needed it or wanted it at that particular time. And then the day uh, that it was supposed to be heading back to Dallas, I got a call early in the morning and um, I was asked if I wanted to keep the cup for a couple more days. And my first response, my immediate was like, no, get it out of here because I had it for three days. And it was a shit show with my friends. I had a couple of high school hockey teams, coaches that I played for. They brought their kids to my house. So it was good for all those people, which is the reason you have it to start with. You share that with all the people that supported you and stuck by you and followed you and spent all your money when you come back in the summer and drink all your beer and 
all of the, that was for all of those people. Well, I said, yeah. And, and we were actually in the car driving at the time when, and myself and the cup guy. And I said, well, yeah, I suppose that that would be all right. I could, I could take it to, to my bar and the, and the car kind of, it, the, the, the dude, he, he hit the brake and he just slowed up a little bit. And he kind of looked at me and he goes, not that biker bar. And I said, <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be, it'll be okay. <clears throat> and so, so anyways, we kind of turn around, go back to my home mountain, get our, get some stuff and then head back. My, it was about 90 miles away and it wasn't the best of bars on the planet. And so we get there and um, so it, it's what you would think that all, all these idiots are there and, you know, the firemen are there and the town that it's in is well, 30, 40,000. So it was a, a way, way bigger than my hometown. So I'll skip forward to, um, the next morning I was staying at the guy that was in the bar with me. I was staying at his house and, and he's got a wife and two kids. And, um, so the cup guy wakes me up in the morning. There was some other thing, but I don't want to get him in trouble. <laughs> he doesn't work for NHL anymore, but I still don't want to get him in trouble. Um, <clears throat> so the next morning he kind of wakes me up. And what had happened is the, the cup needed to leave or we needed to leave and get on a flight and he had to get it on a plane because it was going to be on the Craig Kilborn show, um, with Mike Bonanno. Mo, Mo was getting going on the Craig Kilborn show at the time. And so the, the cup guy wakes me up in the morning and says, Hey, where's the cup? And, you know, we had just gotten home like two hours earlier. And I said, I have no idea. I said, you're, that's your job, dude. I mean, you, that's why you're here. And he, go, he goes, it's not here. And we were at my buddy's house. And I said, well, I thought we brought it back, but I don't know, maybe it's at the bar. And so we, anyway, so at, at making, this point, you weren't nervous or anything like that. Like, uh, holy yes. Kidding. We've been drinking for like a month and a, a okay. month at okay. the time. So no, I didn't, I could care you less. Didn't care. Okay. No, I didn't. If somebody would have stole my twins, I wouldn't probably said anything. So I just, <laughs> I said, I don't know. And so we went down to the bar. We thought we left it there. Couldn't find it there. Went to a couple other places. We called the police that were the cops that were there. We called the department. Nobody knew it was. And so the whole, whole town's kind of looking at, it. we go back to Scolzi's house, my buddy, and we're sitting at his kitchen table and his kids are outside and he's got a little hot tub uh, outside. And anyways, his kids were playing in the hot tub and we're all trying to, run everything back and go, well, what the hell? We did this. We did that. Where, where is it? And now the poor cup guy is like white and he's in a big <laughs> panic. Cause it's been two, three hours. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't mean, I don't blame him. That's not, everybody was hung over anyway. So that, that, I would say that's a fireable offense. If you lose the Stanley cup. Well, yeah, well, of course it would be, but I yeah. mean, it's, it's not lost. It's somewhere. I mean, we know it's somewhere for God's sakes, but, and, and it's not like you can sneak the Stanley cup around. You can't sneak it over a border. You can't sneak it onto a plane. So we're going to find it. Well, then all we're sitting there and you know, a little panic and I'm kind of getting a little worried about it too. And <clears throat> all of a sudden I hear, I hear one of Scolzi's kids. He goes, what's that? He's talking to his little brother. He goes, what's that? And I don't know. What's that? And they yell, mom, and he yells, mom. And so Mary gets up, she walks outside and they're sitting in the hot tub while the cup was at the bottom of the hot tub. So apparently when we got home, we took it into the hot tub and we ultimately found it. <clears throat> Everything's solved. He's all good. And we take off for the airport and he goes, Hey, can I borrow your phone, your cell phone? He goes, uh, you know, if Smitty, our trainer, he goes, any chance, you know, if Smitty's around. I said, I have no idea back in Dallas here. So I said, why, what do you need him for? He goes, well, I need to get into the training room and get, let Smitty get in there and get his tools. I got to take this cup together and put it and fix it. He goes, because we are not taking this on the air in, in 24 hours from now. So, and it, it always, I mean, like, again, it always had these little dents and things. And these guys are so good at, at what they do, making that thing perfectly new. So I didn't lose the cup. It was just misplaced for like four or five hours. And we just weren't quite sure where it was. Hmm. Yeah, I still so. say you kind of lost it. You should have kept an eye on it. Not your job. No, I, that but, wasn't my job. My job uh, no, is to I have know. Your job's celebrate, drink have everybody drink out of it one one guy there was one guy though i gotta say so it was one of the biker dudes and he was up on top of the bar and in the bar we have these wooden beams that run all the way through the bar big ones i mean they're i don't know they're, they're eight by eights or whatever but anyway he's up on the bar and the cup is on the pool table and he was dancing on the bar and, and you know the, these guys this particular biker group was called Satan's Pride. So that's all I really need to tell you. And they're up there. They're having fun. He's up there dancing on the bar. And I just went up to the bartender and says, hey, can, can you get him off the bar? And I said, yeah. And I said, hey, dude, come on. 
And he goes, no, no, I'm good. I said, no. I said, you're hammering. I said, I don't want you to fall and hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. He goes, I'm not going to fall. I said, yeah, there's a good chance you're going to fall. He goes, no, I'm not. And he takes his left hand and he just swings it and he sticks it into the beam. I didn't know he had a hook for a hand. So, and then he's, and he's just hanging there and he goes, I told you I wouldn't fall. So, after the cup and everything being there, that's the one thing I remember most probably is the, the hook. And you would have thought it would have known that. But I didn't. All right. How did it get to the bottom of a lake? I, I wasn't part of that. I know, but you know, this is a podcast. Well, I mean, We're listen, looking at this. When I was up my first three days up north, we got a great big uh houseboat, like a fifty footer. Yeah. And it we had a life jacket on it though. We put a life jacket on it and it fell off the top of the boat. But I mean it was a life jacket and it just floated. I mean, right. I will tell you when you when it does sink to the bottom of a let's call it a, a pool at a so card called Rockstar. <laughs> yes. That's unfortunately no longer with us yes and people are riding it and it gets to the bottom of the pool you'd be surprised how heavy that 35 pound cup can be when it's all full of water and you know everything that it soaks into so how how many people did it take to bring it to the surface well oh oh to the surface uh man i I wish i could tell you but it was late in the evening so i can't really remember yeah i don't know how many people actually i know that there were three that were on it that's how it sunk to the bottom so um, they were employees of, uh, one of Vinny's businesses. So. <laughs> okay. So here's my last thing is that, you know, a couple of years ago, and I think you were there as well. Um, the cup came to Dallas and a really, really cool, uh, guy who used to work in the NHL, uh, brought it as part of his day for Jared Sandler's charity event. So, we were there, we were broadcasting live. The Stanley Cup shows up and it's like a celebrity enters. So I get my picture taken, but my picture with the cup, I'm not touching it. Maybe I'm too much of a hockey purist, but I was always under, my understanding is this. You don't touch the cup and you certainly never raise it over your head unless you're the one that won it. And later that night, people were drinking out of the cup. People were touching it and taking pictures, raising it over their head. And I said, oh, man, too much of a hockey purist? Uh, that that rule or that is it myth gone? or whatever you want to call it is not for people like you. It's for players that maybe were, uh, again, like I had a couple guys that were had played in the American League when I had it in Wisconsin, and they wouldn't touch it. It's for players that they the the belief is you're not touching it or lifting it until you win it yourself ah so that you definitely don't fall into that category i'm worried that you were standing behind the cup because if you are you probably have a picture on your wall of just the cup (laughs) (laughs) i I actually have two pictures of the cup or a cup with arms (laughs) a cup with arms (laughs) are you saying that are you saying the stanley cup is bigger than my entire body yeah, but it, it, there's a good shot that it probably is. That's not fair, Craig. You know well, you I'd be standing, you were probably such standing a, on a stool. My God, I would set such anyway, a that, great that's screen. The, that's the belief, is that if, you, if you're if you a player and someday you're going to okay. play, you, you don't pick it up because they consider it bad luck, and I I don't know why they would consider it bad so, luck. But Civilian-wise, I can do whatever I want with it. Well, people do. I, I uh, When Blake was here, the, Blake Coleman, who won it yeah. for the second time with Tampa Bay, uh, we were over at his house here well, a couple months ago, whatever it was. And I mean, that's what it's for. That's what I said earlier. That <clears throat> that's what the cup is for is it, it's for all of your family and friends and the people that supported you and, and everything else through your career, especially as you're coming up, you know, your younger years and uh, your midget hockey and mites and bantams and all that kind of stuff. And into high school and college and all those people that stood behind you. Now it's for those people um, to be able to do what they can. Oh yeah. I, that's whatever. I mean, I, I probably went through two half rolls just of just of my friends drinking out of the cup. And, and that, I mean, again, that that's what that's what you want. Those you want those pictures. They want those. They need those pictures hanging on their wall. And those are stories for. I mean, their kids are going to grow up knowing that they never played in the NHL or or even if they did, hey, whatever. But they had their day with the cup. I mean, it. Our we all you know our days were our days were the biggest thing for us is just to win it. You know, so but. But at the end of the day, when you're when you're able to take the cup home, it's not so much for you. It's for everybody else that that you've been associated with, friends and family, you know, through all your days of 
of playing hockey. There you go. Well, next time I see you, I'll give you a signed tennis ball from me. Uh, okay, awesome. I'll look forward to that. <laughs> it's not the same, but, you know, the Hall of Famer giving you a uh, tennis ball. It's an honor. Not Who's so signing much. it? Me! What Hall of Fame would that I'm in my athletic Hall of Fame in college for tennis. I left with the all-time victories. You say Hall of Shame or Hall of Fame? No, Hall of Fame, man. You're in a Hall of Fame? Yes. (laughs) For a sport? (laughs) Yeah. Or a radio? (laughs) We on the the radio tennis team or something like that? No. No. I only played three years because I had to get into broadcasting, but I left with the all-time wins. I was a three-time MVP. I was about well, my current height, and honestly, I was about a buck twenty-five, buck thirty. Just all power. So you you put on seven pounds since then? <laughs> no, I put on. So a how lot many more. shows? How many shows have we done? Four, three. This is our fourth. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, seems seems like thirty or forty, but but so it took you a whole three shows to be able to get in and tell everybody that you're a Hall of Famer. I don't something? talk about it. I don't talk about it. Yeah, you because of this, spot. because no one believes it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we had a whole induction ceremony and speech and everything, man. Yeah. Well, I hope you and your mom had a good time. At oh, that come on, man. Tennis is skill, bro. Uh, oh, I believe you. I took yeah. tennis in, in college. Yeah. One of my classes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So is badminton, by the way. And racquetball. And racquetball. Anything. And highlight. Yeah. Yeah. Those days are behind me now. Yep. So, all right. Well, everyone's tuned out now because I talked about my sports career. So, 100%. Yeah. I know. I get it. I get it. I'm just trying to get word in edgewise every once in a while on this podcast. I know everyone's here from Craig. I know you sent me that text last week that said, uh, well, it's like, I enjoy the podcast. And then they corrected, well, I enjoy you, capital letters, you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, my rant didn't go over well. I never, I didn't even pick that. I, didn't <laughs> I did. I did. The fact that someone on a text would press the caps button and hold it and say you means they didn't like this guy. And that's well, okay. That's the day that you went off, though. That's why. I did. I did. That's fine. They deserved it at the time. So let's hope you don't have Listen, to. Listen, I'm going to be real. Hey, I'm gonna the be only myself. reason that happened, I'm just trying to get a beer sponsor. All I right? get it. I'm no. Working I, on a beer sponsor. I know. You're working hard, man. I can't wait to bring this show out and meet all the peeps and. Sit yeah. there and as you sign autographs of Brett Hull, it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next week we're going to tape a early show because of uh, Thanksgiving, but we will have a new episode of Spits and Suds coming to you soon. A lot of fun today, my friend. Thanks for the storytelling, and uh, hopefully the stars keep rolling. Yep. Another hour. I'll never get back. <laughs> He's two-time Stanley Cup champion, Craig Ludwig. I'm Gavin Spittle. Have a great day, everybody.